Today on the Winnipeg Foundations Because Radio. The Winnipeg Foundation is holding a vital conversation on living long and staying strong, and we'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Verena Menick about healthy aging and how we can make our communities more age-friendly. Local investment toward employment promotes local social enterprises through its holiday light box. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker Sweet Impressions bakes the world a better place. And we'll have highlights from this week's episode of the Because in Effect podcast featuring Jeff Newman and Stephanie Scott, director and executive producer of First Contact on ABTN. All this and more on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 32. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sonny Pomolo. Sonny, how are you doing today? It is the last show of November 2019. Uh, The Winnipeg Blue Bombers just won the Grey Cup. Congratulations. It was a long time coming. 29 years. Absolutely. But uh, you know what? I think it makes the victory all that much more exciting and that much more fun worth the wait absolutely i definitely enjoyed checking out the parade and seeing all all the people there it was a great moment for our city people are living longer than ever and for the first time in history there are now more older adults in canada than children how can people stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible and how can we make communities more age-friendly so that people can stay healthy Well, the Winnipeg Foundation's upcoming Vitals Conversation on December 2nd, Living Long and Staying Strong, will be addressing those questions. The keynote speaker for the event, Verena Menick, is a professor in the Department of Community Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba, and up next on Because Radio, we'll speak with her about her research on healthy aging and how we can make our communities more age-friendly. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here today, and I am now joined via telephone by Dr. Verena Menek. She is a professor in the Department of Community Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba, and she'll also be the keynote for the vital conversation that's happening on December 2nd. Dr. Verena Menek, thank you so much for joining me today on Because Radio. Well, thanks for having me. So first off, I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself and the work that you do as it relates to aging in Canada. So I'm a a professor. Uh, That means I do both research and I teach, and I specifically I research and teach in the area of aging. So my interests are healthy aging. So what does it take to uh, live a long and healthy life? uh, currently, I'm particularly interested in how social and isolation and loneliness relate to health. And on the other hand, I'm also interested and I have done a lot of research in the area of creating age-friendly communities. So how can we create a community environment that promotes healthy aging? What are some of the trends that you've found in your research as it relates to aging uh, and healthy aging in Canada? And and what are some of the changes that you've noticed? Well, I think to, to step back a bit, the reason why we talk even more so about healthy aging now is because of the major demographic trends. So we know that the population is aging We have currently about uh, one in six Canadians who are 65 years or older, and 
in only about 10 years, we expect that to increase to about one in four. So almost 25% of Canadians will be older. So that's a lot of, uh, a lot of people, a lot of older people. It's a large proportion of the population. Uh, we have, for the first time ever in history, more older people than children. So again, that's a, that's a very uh, major change in what our population looks like. And so, so there has been just an increasing emphasis on in looking at healthy aging and looking at how people not only live longer, but also uh, healthier. So that's, I think, a major, major trend. And so what, what would you say are the keys to living a long and healthy life? Well, there are a number of things we can do, and it probably won't come uh, as a surprise to the listener to hear some of them. Uh, physical activity is, is most definitely uh, good for health at any age, so, so whether it's for children uh, to be healthier, but even in very old age, uh, if people have never done any physical activity, it's still good for us. It's good uh, at any age in any amount, so, so people really do need to take that seriously. Uh, the, re- the one area that I'm particularly interested in now is, is social engagement. How does that relate to health? And we know from a lot of research it is a health risk to be socially isolated or lonely. So, uh, so that is one factor. And I, maybe just as a, as a way of putting it into context, we, we know that social isolation is as bad for health as not being physically active, so being sedentary, it's as bad as smoking. So it is a major health risk. We know many other factors relate to healthy aging, um, healthy diets, so eating well is important, sleeping well is important, and genetics in part plays a role as well. What would you say are the keys to living a long and healthy life? I think that's exactly it. It's not just one thing. It's, it's a combination of factors, and they're interrelated, and they affect each other. So, so when people get into uh, less healthy, then the, the physical exercise goes down. And, and by the way, by physical exercise, I don't mean just going to the gym or, or jogging or doing anything major like that, but it can be gardening. Uh, walking is very popular among older people. It can mean walking to the post office or the store. Uh, that kind of everyday physical activity is important, but it's interrelated with, with physical health. So some, sometimes people spiral down, if you will, that uh, if health starts to decline, they're less physically active. It makes them less socially engaged. With all of that, they're less mentally stimulated. So mental activity is important. Uh, and then, then health declines further and maybe a depression sets in, which spirals uh, us even further down. So, so everything is interrelated. We can't just pick one of the factors out and say that's the important factor in healthy aging. It's a whole combination of things. I guess it's about making sure that you're, you're optimizing all areas of your health. And of course, physical health plays a big role in it, but, you know, also mental health and your emotional health, you know, things that having more social engagement can really help contribute to in a positive way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is very important. So the two things to mention in is uh, we hear a lot about uh, physical activity being very important and uh, the 10,000 steps 
are out there quite a bit. We have to do 10,000 steps a day. That's well and good for people who can do that, but that is not necessary. If if a person can't do that, then less is okay. And uh, I, I always thought my, uh, I'll give you an example of my mother-in-law who was in her 80s at the time. She was using a walker. And when she would come and visit us, because we have a long hallway, a wide hallway, she would say, okay, now I'm going to go exercise. And she would walk up and down our hallway. That is great. So any activity at any age in any amount is better than no activity at all. The second piece that you mentioned is also important. It has to do with that attitude. So um, we hear things like, well, I'm too old for that. I can't do that. Um, It's not going to make a difference anyway. Um, Or I look old. That's for old people. So, So all of these negative thoughts also impact how people then behave. So... So when my father, to give a personal example, was in his 80s and he started to be frail, he would say, well, I don't want to look old. I don't want to use a cane. Well, why not use a cane? If that's what you need to to keep a balance, to keep balance and to, to walk a little bit, then that's what a person should do. So I think sometimes people need to watch themselves and see what are some of the thoughts they have and be positive and try a little bit whatever they can do i imagine a lot of it in in this sense is preventative like you want to address these things before they start to affect your quality of life you mentioned that as part of your research and part of your work involves how communities can encourage and support the health of our senior populations. So what are some things that we can do for our communities or what are the kinds of things that we should encourage in our in our cities and in our neighborhoods? Yes, when we talk about um, what we can do in ourselves to stay healthy, so if things like physical activity, social engagement, healthy eating, that also at the same time means that there are opportunities to do those things. So have opportunities, for example, for social programs. And we have many, uh, for example, active living centers in the city, having exercise programs uh, available, having walking trails, having mall walking, all of those means having the opportunities that allow us to stay healthy with healthy eating? Are there opportunities to have access to healthy food? And importantly, above all, perhaps, is are, is there income security? Are the, Do people have the means to actually access the opportunities? Or are those opportunities, those programs, affordable for everybody? So I think that the healthy aging, what we can do, and the healthy... the the age-friendly community, so the community side, they go hand in hand. You can't separate them out at all. So, so whether that means in the uh, community to have those uh, transportation options as well, to go to a social program, uh, having sidewalks cleared that you can actually walk on them, Uh, So it's a whole range of things that we need to have in the communities to allow healthy aging. How do you think Winnipeg is doing in terms of being a community that's age-friendly? Well, on the one hand, I I think we have a lot of great programs. So we have a lot of uh, 
uh, all kinds of social, physical activity programs, mental. There's, there's, there's probably something for everybody. I keep being impressed just how many things are on offer through the community centers, through various uh, active living centers, and so on. So we have a lot going for ourselves. I think where, uh, and this is not unique to to Winnipeg, but where where a gap is, is is in the transportation. And it's not for the people who can still drive. People who can still drive are fine, but when people can no longer drive, what are the options then? And I think that's where we can do more. Uh, transportation, getting places, is so critical. So I can say, well, you have to go out and be social. And yes, we have the social programs, but if you, don't, if you can't get there, that's not much good. So I think that is one gap. And I'm still thinking also with housing, affordable housing, good affordable housing is always in, uh, an important issue. Uh, and again, Winnipeg would not be unique in that, but uh, this is an issue throughout the country in all communities, in all cities. On December 2nd, um, you'll be presenting the keynote at the Vital Conversation Lunch and Learn, Living Long, Staying Strong. And I'm wondering, uh, what are you hoping that audiences will take away from attending the Vital Conversation? I hope to take away that there are things we can do to to age well. Um, having said that, I also hope that people understand that there are no guarantees in life because uh, sometimes I've been talking about healthy aging and then somebody says, yeah, wait a minute, I know somebody who did everything right and they still uh, didn't live as long as they should have, so there are no guarantees in life. But, but regardless, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there, and secondly, from, uh, from the other side, that, they, that we do need to work on creating age-friendly communities. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add or anything else that you would want to say to our listeners who are tuning in right now? Well, I suggest that people do what they can and uh, hopefully if they think about physical activity, it doesn't mean they need to go to the gym and it really helps to have a buddy. So maybe they can go for a walk with somebody. Uh, recently, I, I was on a walk, and I saw there were a couple of men, and they started to walk. So there was the physical, they were together, so there was the social, and they were talking politics, so there was the mental activity right in there, and I thought, wow, good for them. That's the way to go. Health is not just the physical health, but it's also uh, feeling better about oneself, uh, being happier, Uh, being more satisfied. So that whole broad range of quality of life. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Verena Menick, for speaking with me uh, today about healthy aging in Canada and uh, about what you'll be talking about at the uh, upcoming Vital Conversation on December 2nd. Thank you again so much for speaking with me today. Thanks, Robert. Up next, producer Jeremy Morant spoke with Tyler Pierce, executive director of Light, local investment towards employment, and Megan Malcolm, the coordinator of Lightbox, to discuss what Light does, what can be found in the holiday season's Lightbox, and what to expect from tomorrow's Light Breakfast fundraiser.
You're listening to Because Radio. I'm here right now with Tyler Pierce, Executive Director of Light. Of course, it stands for Local Investment Towards Employment. I'm also here with Megan Malcolm, who is the Lightbox Coordinator. We're going to talk about what that means in just a second. But first, Tyler, uh, thank you so much for being here. For our listeners who, who don't know, can you tell us what Light is and what Local Investment Towards Employment means? So Light stands for Local Investment Towards Employment. We create jobs and training opportunities for people that are really healthy back just because of social or economic circumstances that they're in. Um, Mostly we are serving Winnipeg's inner city communities and their neighborhoods and we work with about 20 to 30 partner organizations a year who work with us to create the job for participants in their programs. What do you see as as Light's primary goal? What is the problem that your organization is addressing that you want to see mitigated? That's a great question. So there are really two parts to that. The first is we are trying to create job opportunities for people who just have a blank resume. Um, So just coming into the world with no experience and a lot of barriers to getting any part-time and certainly full-time job. That's one part. The second part, and it's in our name, Local Investment Toward Employment, but local investment is also we want to support the local economy to grow in Winnipeg's inner city. And there are a lot of challenges in the inner city because if without functioning businesses, you can't have an economy. And without functioning businesses, you can't have people working in those stores. So we see our roles as really twofold there, um, supporting people who need work, but also supporting the growth of a local economy in Winnipeg's inner city. That's the why. Let's get into the how. Can you tell us some of Light's programs and activities that you organize? Sure thing. So I like to say that we create jobs any way possible. So for example, on Friday, we're having our wild blueberry pancake breakfast. It is a fundraiser, but we're also creating 20 jobs that day by hiring caterers from local nonprofit organizations. And so again, that's like any way possible, right? It could be a one day job, which this is about one or two days people get um, earn some get the chance to earn some money um, but other ways that we do it is by raising money we can give out grants to these organizations that really know firsthand the people they're working with and know what their barriers are and also by have by holding programs supported by light they can connect those very same people to their other programs that might be dealing with some people's social um, or family issues that they're dealing with that are keeping them from entering the job market. At Light, you have a very uh, a special product, uh, the, the light box. You brought an example of the holiday light box here today. Tell us, first of all, like, just what is the light box? What's in it? What's it made of? It's so cool. It's so novel and special. Let's talk about that. Uh, the light box is, uh, it's a curated box of items that are all made by um, social enterprises or people that just really needed an opportunity. Um, and it's, it is, it's such an exciting project because we're making so many jobs from it. And it's such a team effort and it gives people an opportunity to, to try something more entrepreneurial. Um, because the thing about, the thing about developing products and, and selling them yourself is it's a way to create an income for yourself and take a lot of control of your life. However, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of risks and a lot of, of learning. There's a lot 
like you just you need to be given a chance to to go through that process and so we're hoping that the box can do that for people um and we can kind of create a space for people to try things out to learn new skills to make a bit of money and um to build that confidence and and hold hands with people and make space as needed listeners out there they can purchase the light box so what what would they find? They open up their light box. What do they see? What's in there? I understand it's all locally made products. Okay, so the the light box has a bath soak made by the youth crew at Spence Neighborhood Association. So that was um, a lot of their first job experiences. Um, and the blueberry jam is made by a woman named Lena, and she's been she was blueberry picking as a child with her father, her family and now makes jam uh, from blueberries picked in northern Manitoba. And uh, the honey is made from hives in central neighborhoods like the North End, West Broadway, and and it's all very focused on being sustainable and, again, giving opportunities to people in the community. Um, The candles are made by community women from the North End Women's Centre, and they have this thieves' oil in them that, has uh, like an amazing scent, but it's also antibacterial. And the pottery is made by Artbeat Studio, which is uh, made by the artists and residents who are all going through difficulties with their mental health and using art as a way to to move through that and to heal. And then the card is made by a, a local emerging artist named Tyler Moore and. Um, he was telling me that after being part of uh, making the card, he was going to go buy supplies and like start selling his work. And it just gave him that, that boost to, to really like see his work printed. Uh, so yeah, it's a, we're really excited about each of the products and the bonus is that they're just great products and they're like exciting to be able to use. And it all comes wrapped in this reused mattress felt. Tyler, do you want to tell us the, the story behind that and how that came to be so the story behind the felt and it's post-consumer material so you look at it and you can see all these different color threads and a lot of the backgrounds kind of gray and it's a bit rough to the touch um, we've asked people in the past what could you do with this fabric and people have said things like you can cut it and put it in your shoes to keep your feet warm over the winter or you could use it for a mat and uh, last year CBC Manitoba made a cool little tote with it so we think people and we want to encourage people to recycle it but it's already recycled so it's from Mother Earth Recycling and they keep mattresses out of the Brady landfill they completely take apart every mattress and then they try to take all of the materials that are in a mattress and recycle it. And one of the things that can't be recycled anywhere right now is this fabric. So if you go to Mother Earth Recycling and they give you a tour, you will see a very big stack of this fabric. And I was on a tour once with Jessica, the general manager there, and she said, yeah, I haven't found anything to do with this fabric yet. And I looked at and my eyes lit up and I thought that would be great for shipping glass in right because many of our products that are in the box are are kind of delicate so by wrapping them up in this we're not creating more waste as we ship out this product because again i think uh, anyone with you know even a iota of creativity will find something to do with with this fabric and it's really cool that 
this fabric was, you know, taken apart by someone who's also learning and earning in Winnipeg's inner city. So we just think it's fabulous and beautiful. Of course, we have to talk about the breakfast that is happening tomorrow. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, but let's get into uh, what can what can people expect from this breakfast? Of course, delicious blueberry pancakes. But what else do we have to look forward to? It is wild blueberry pancakes. So there, these are blueberries that again are we actually bought them from the same woman who made the blueberry jam in the light box, Lena Friesen, and so they're from northern Manitoba. Um, The breakfast, I think, is a magical event. I remember going to the breakfast before I worked at Light and just thinking, like, what is happening here? Because people are coming from all over the city. You have people from all walks of life. Um, The mayor is going to be there along with um, a woman who's been making pancakes for us for 23 years. So it's just like everyone and anyone from Winnipeg is going to be there. There's going to be some dancing. The Norman Chief Memorial Dancers, who are just bring so much energy to this event, are there. We have a hoop dancer and some music by Fontaine is also going to be there. So it's it's kind of like an early morning uh, party. Um, but it's also a place where you can expect to just have a conversation with maybe someone you've just never met before. But there's this special joy in the room, and I, I don't know how to explain it any other way. Um, it's a come-and-go event. It's casual. It's 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., and it really is meant to be before work. And I encourage anyone to take the bus because it's the event location is one block away from the bus that you get on Main Street. So um, if people have never been there, don't be afraid to come even by yourself because you will make new friends at this breakfast. Well, to experience it all for yourself, it sounds very exciting. To experience it for yourself, uh, that is tomorrow, Friday, November 29th, 181 Austin Street North. Uh, Tyler, Megan, thank you so both so much for uh, speaking with me today. Before we go, uh, tell us how we can learn more about light and the light box if someone wants to look into getting one for themselves or a gift for someone else for the holidays. What, uh, where do we go? What do we do? Thank you for that question. You can go straight to light, L-I-T-E dot M-B dot C-A, and there you'll find a link to, um, to learn more about the breakfast, but also to the light box. Once again, thank you, Tyler, Executive Director of Light and Megan, Lightbox Coordinator. You're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, our regular segment with Sonny, where he highlights impact makers in our community called Winnipeg Impact Makers. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, Sweet Impressions, bakes the world a better place. And we'll learn more about that up next on Because Radio. Because we care. I'm a mom. I have three kids. I have a very busy life and I'm constantly pulled in all directions and there are moments sometimes where you just feel like you're not doing enough even though you're stretched to the max and and as a business owner I feel even probably more stressed out and busy than uh, most but everybody's got lots of things going on and it was one way for me personally to be able to give something back that was really important. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sonny Pomolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Krista Robertson, co-owner of Sweet Impressions, located on 669 Stafford Street here in Winnipeg. Thanks for joining us on Because Radio. 
Oh, thanks for having me. To get started, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Uh, what's your story? Why did you want to start a bakery like this one? Oh, that's a great question. Well, about 14 years ago, I ended up meeting uh, a friend who was an incredible baker, and I am more of a, a decorator, and that's how our cookie company started. And we started doing craft sales. Um, at the very beginning, before we had a brick and mortar that we opened in uh, 2008 on Taché, and uh, now we're in our current location uh, since uh, 2011, and now we've just ce celebrated around 11 years in business. Wow, and I must say it is a beautiful location as well. So for those who are unfamiliar with Sweet Impressions, can you tell us what services you offer and what makes you different from other bakeries here in Winnipeg? Oh, of course. Um, well, at Sweet Impressions, we're 100% nut-free. Um, we also specialize in vegan options, so we cater to egg-free and dairy-free. We also do have a few uh, flourless items as well. We started the business as our passion was cookie decorating, and we've kind of expanded that into we have a beautiful wedding department, we have a wedding coordinator, and we probably do around 150-plus weddings a year. We also have a beautiful uh, decorating studio that we host birthday parties in and uh, adult classes. We also do a lot of family events that are kind of scattered throughout the year during holidays. Our front of our store, as you can see, the bakery is full of baking and party supplies and we bake every day from scratch cupcakes and we have cookie sandwiches. Uh, birthday cakes, of course, we're here to celebrate all special occasions. We also have a wholesale business, so we have a little bit of everything going on. Absolutely, quite a plethora of things. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about an awesome initiative that you have called Bake the World a Better Place, where you support grassroots uh, Winnipeg organizations, with the current one being Laurel Centre, if I'm correct. So how does this initiative work? Well, I'll tell you a little bit how it started. About just over two years ago, we were inundated with auction prizes, and you know everybody wants a little something um, for an event or a social, and we just, we just couldn't do everything for everybody so we decided to start our bake the world a better place and what we do is we make a little world cookies and we choose uh, a grassroots organization every three months and we sell the cookies and then we basically write them a check for everything we give a hundred percent of the profits back to the community and for us it was really important we wanted to make a big impact um, or even a little small impact because we are just a small bakery but we have about uh, over 24 staff and we collectively choose as a group who our next nominee is and you can nominate through our website and it only takes one vote and usually a, a beautiful heartfelt kind of message because that's how we usually connect with who we choose. Let's talk a little bit about that. So how does it work? Um, how do you raise money? So we sell the cookies for $2 each. And then, like I said, every three months, then we'll meet with the organization again. And then we write them a check. That's excellent. So again, that's $2 a cookie and nut-free, I'm assuming? 100% uh, nut-free. And to date, we've probably raised over $30,000. Wow. So can you give us an example of the different types of local charities that you have supported? Oh, sure. We've uh, Winnipeg Pet Rescue, um, West Broadway Youth Outreach, uh, Laurel Center, You Can't Spoil a Baby, the Frosting Foundation, just to name a few. Very, very cool. So why is it important that Sweet Impressions help local charities? Because we care and the community is the way we stay in business. We absolutely rely on our customers and feeling connected. That's really important to us. 
Do you have any personal stories or reasons for giving back? What was the one thing that made you go and say, you know, I need to do this? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I'm a mom. I have three kids. I have a very busy life and I'm constantly pulled in all directions and there are moments sometimes where you just feel like you're not doing enough even though you're stretched to the max and and as a business owner I feel even probably more stressed out and busy than uh, most but everybody's got lots of things going on and it was one way for me personally to be able to give something back that was really important. So for those looking for more information about Sweet Impressions and Bake the World a Better Place, where can they go and how can they learn more about you? Oh, wonderful. Um, Well, you definitely want to come to our location because it's absolutely beautiful in here and we have lots of goodies. But um, we also are online, so sweetimpressions.ca. There's where you can uh, name a charity. You can also uh, buy all of our products online and we'll even deliver right to your door. Excellent. What is one thing that you love about Winnipeg? Oh, that's a great... I'm going to go right back and say community. Not the cold weather today, but um, we're going to just ignore that. But community, for sure. Is there anything you would like to add before we go today? Bake the World cookies make great stocking stuffers. So when you're giving gifts to your neighbors or friends or even putting in the stockings, they're great. And you're giving back to the community as well. Thanks, Krista. For those of you who know of a local charity that you would like to nominate, visit the Sweet Impressions website at sweetimpressions.ca forward slash bakery forward slash charity. Or if you would like to buy these amazing cookies or other great dainties, be sure to visit Sweet Impressions at 669 Stafford Street, just $2 to support a good cause. So thank you to Krista and everyone at Sweet Impressions for sharing their story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Pomolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Welcome back to Because Radio, Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by the host of the Because and Effect podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, Nolan Bicknell. Nolan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Hey, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. So uh, your most recent guests on Because and Effect were Stephanie Scott, the executive producer, and Jeff Newman, the director of an aptn show called first contact which uh, has aired two seasons on aptn and anyone can watch the episodes online at aptn.ca slash first contact um for people who haven't heard about first contact before what's the show about so basically it's a really interesting concept it's kind of a reality tv style show about six canadians that are brought face to face with various indigenous people and different groups and uh, just sort of challenged to reevaluate a lot of their preconceived notions and quite frankly their racist ideas and beliefs it's pretty pretty shocking stuff actually what they what they uncovered so what were one of the main takeaways from your conversation with Stephanie and Jeff? Sure, yeah. Stephanie and Jeff were the executive producer and director of First Contact, as you mentioned, and they were both great. It was a really interesting conversation. 
uh, Stephanie is an indigenous woman and De Jeff is a non-indigenous man. And it made for a great dynamic in the conversation. Almost every, po well, every podcast previously uh, has been with one person, just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But this one was with both Stephanie and Jeff. So it was a cool dynamic. It was, it was interesting. There were some heavy topics, you know, like we were talking about racism, both systemic and personal racism, stereotypes, and just kind of how Canada has a long way to go to uh, to abolish some of the inequality and prejudices that uh, that still really remain in our country and and are, are personified in the six uh, members of the cast. So the whole conversation was great, but if I had to choose one of the main takeaways, I really loved what Stephanie had to say about sort of letting Indigenous people speak their truths. Well, I think it's, it's definitely challenging. I mean, you wanted to be very, very sensitive to what's happening in the Indigenous community and that we're not, you know, just exposing them for entertainment. But I think that any time that um, an Indigenous person is given an opportunity to share their truth, I think that's what's most important because, you know, often we hear it from the other side, as Jeff was saying, and, and didn't have that experience or opportunity to come face to face and, and face those ignorant views or, or racist, you know, stereotypes. So I think that, you know, people needed to be able to say it, what was on their minds, what they felt in their heart and how they were going to address it. And often it worked out to the benefit, I think, of everybody that was sitting around that table. Not all, but most, you know, I mean, because we did witness a couple that, you know, didn't, didn't open their minds and, and want to learn more. And, and even that was a little bit okay because it just told us a story of where we're at with a different generation too so but you know anytime somebody gets to speak their truth i think it's important as you mentioned first contact deals with some pretty heavy topics and i would imagine that that can be pretty tough for the filmmakers and producers of the show to deal with at times yeah absolutely like both jeff and stephanie mentioned how emotional some of the shoot days were because well especially for stephanie as an indigenous woman she kind of had to unearth and relive some of the traumas that she herself has endured in the past i think that you know what you're talking about too is that indigenous people are also um a benefit for some people you know sometimes there's a business you take a look at the residential schools it's gone to prisons and now we're in child welfare systems as well right so that's ongoing but there are people that have multiple multiple jobs and that are you know earning a living off the the trauma of this generation so i think that also has to change and when jeff was talking about earlier you know to make make a difference look if you're in prison we visited the uh, healing center where there was an opportunity for people to come together and to learn about their culture right so that was a step on opening the mind and allowing a different approach. And, and people were doing better, you know, recidivism was less, mm -hmm. so it happens. Truth and reconciliation is obviously at the forefront of this program and this project. And I'm assuming that came up in the conversation as well. So what did Jeff and Stephanie have to say about how that relates to their experience in working on this show? Uh, when it comes to truth and reconciliation, I'd say both of them were sort of cautiously but realistically optimistic about it. You know, it's obviously we have a long way to go as a country, but Stephanie especially was uh, very measured but still hopeful in her response when I asked about reconciliation. I don't think I'll see full reconciliation in my lifetime, but I think that we've definitely started. I think through the sharing of story and experience and understanding and learning about some of the atrocities that happened to our people is a first step. 
I think that, you know, the introduction of Kukums in the classroom is amazing because I grew up myself in the, the school system here in Winnipeg and I didn't learn that history. I was also adopted out. So I grew up, you know, learning the stories and, and feeling ashamed, you know, the words welfare, addicts, drunks, uh, dirty Indians, those all came up often in my lifetime. So do I hear it less? Um, I hear it less, but uh, I know it, it hasn't completely gone away. I hope that it does, and I hope that it does one day for my grandchildren, you know, that they don't have to face that discrimination and that in the next couple of decades that we all are proud of each other and, and we can live together, you know, side by side. And not only Indigenous, non-Indigenous peoples, but we have a lot of newcomers too that we need to, you know, understand and learn from. So I, I definitely am hopeful that, you know, reconciliation can happen. It's just going to take a little while. We've heard from Stephanie, and I'm wondering uh, if there were any moments that Jeff shared in particular that you found were really impactful in the conversation. Yeah, obviously, I was, I've was i shared a few clips from Stephanie, who was wonderful, but Jeff also was very thoughtful in his answers as well. And he talked about his experience taking the whole cast and visiting uh, the family of Colton Bushy, who was a, a young man that was killed uh, maybe a year or two ago. Um, and it's obviously a very raw and controversial situation, but it made for some very interesting television. These are things that we felt a responsibility to talk about. Um, these are very important issues. Um, we, we visited uh, the, the home community of Colton uh, Bushi's uh, family. We were in uh, near Inkatasatage, Quebec, near Oka, where the Oka siege happened uh, in the uh, early 90s. So these are, th these are situations that we know is, are divisive. And, and that they deserve to have, again, let's hear the other side of that voice. But absolutely, I mean, we, we had to be extremely careful in terms of how we dealt with it. Um, there, you take on a lot of responsibility to wanting to, to get it right. Uh, and, and, and again, getting the right feeling out of it, you know, we, we don't want to make things worse, <laughs> you know. Um, and we have huge confidence. The one thing that we can always count on is our, the communities and the community members, we like to call them knowledge keepers, uh, that uh, provide share stories. They always can diffuse any situation because we're 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 igniting a bit of a some TNT when we arrive sometimes, you know, with with what's going on. But uh, it it always seems to work out basically mainly because of how they respond to things. The idea behind the show seems to be you know, a, a way to create an open dialogue and a way to help people deal with their prejudices in sort of a, a bit of a safe manner, but also that, you know, those prejudices also get challenged as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's not only the fact that they're able to sort of talk about these tough subjects in an open manner, but there was no judgment. You know, everyone that they went to, all the Indigenous groups and different families that they met were very opening and understanding and welcoming, sometimes even into a, to a shocking degree. At the end of every podcast, you ask the same seven questions called Just Because. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how there's always, you can always hear a new insightful answer to the same question, just coming from a, a different perspective. So, mm -hmm. Uh, what were some of the highlights from the Just Because segment this week? Sure. One of the questions is, what is a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan wasn't working out for you? And Jeff told an amazing story about when he was, uh, you know, kind of stressed out about about the this project, about the show and putting it all together and worried about making everything work and ensuring everything would be successful. And then he met with an Indigenous elder and got some pretty profound advice that uh, that he shared. 
I was really struggling trying to make this show work. We had to f- shoot it in 28 days and we had to make all these things happen. And from a logistics standpoint, it's, it's very challenging, let alone the subject matter that you're, at, that you're, you're, you're trying to deal with. Um, and the, the, the elder, he stopped me as I was trying to dictate to him how I thought the shoot should go. And he said, stop being such a white guy and don't control everything. And we started, I laughed actually. And we just started, we started talking it, we started talking it through and he said, you know what, you're doing all the right things. Just let go and let it happen. Don't worry about it. It's going to work out. And I found that for me was a very subtle pivot in terms of trying to go about things a certain way and force things to happen because I felt that was the responsible thing to do as opposed to, and that's not saying just completely willy-nilly from that point, but once I, I was able to allow myself to be free and just you know keep, keep doing and have confidence in what you're doing, everything fell together, and it really did. So that I've, I've used that. I've, Stephanie's heard me tell this story before, I'm sure, because it deeply affected me, and I've told it many times, and I've used it, I've used it in my own life, uh, saying, like, just let go. And, and, and just let it happen. And again, that's, that's indigenous knowledge is what that is, right? Very ancient wisdom, really, very simple, but it's easy to get caught up in our own world. So that was a big moment for me. If any of our listeners would like to hear the full conversation with Stephanie Scott and Jeff Newman, um, who are members of the team behind the production of First Contact on APTN, uh, where can people find the uh, the full episode with your conversation? Sure, everywhere you find podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, um, you can, or you could just go to becauseandeffect.org and then all the episodes are there for you. If you subscribe, it really helps us out. So becauseandeffect.org. Perfect. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or ideas for Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sunny Promolo. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.